Let me just briefly pray for us once more. God, we've prayed all that we have because we are needy people. We've prayed for things that we cannot do on our own, that we need you to do, your work, Lord. We, and we pray the same way for ourselves right now as we turn to your word, that your spirit would give us understanding, that your spirit would bring conviction and encouragement, that your spirit would sanctify us by the truth here. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. In our world, money talks. And that's because money gives us access to the things of this world. Things that we value. Things that we feel like, give us, that feel, feel like will make us happy. And so if you really want something or value something, you tend to get behind it with your money. Whether that's a certain cause certain purchase. Whatever you do with your money is indicative of your heart. And when it comes to our lives, that's really the issue. It's the heart. More than asking, where is my money? We want to ask, where is my heart? What is it living for? How can we know? Especially as it relates to God. One way that we can see where our heart is in relation to God is to look at how we spend our money or give it to bless his people. If you want to see where your heart is with the Lord, look at how your money is spent regarding his people. We see something of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look with me at verse 7. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich." And in this matter, I'm giving advice because it is profitable for you, who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Now also finish the task, so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need, in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. Well, the background of this passage is really helpful, because it helps us read this text with the heartbeat of the whole letter. In the letter that we call 1 Corinthians, Paul had told them to put out of their fellowship an immoral brother, someone who was sleeping with his father's wife. And he ended that letter in chapter 16, verses 1 through 2, with specific instructions for setting aside money each Sunday to give to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. 
who were suffering persecution for their faith and in great poverty because of a famine. And that way, based on this instruction that Paul's giving to this church, when he comes to them, he could easily just collect that offering and take the gift to Jerusalem. But when he came back, there was a falling out. They had not obeyed Paul in 1 Corinthians. They did not put that immoral brother out. In fact, Paul was opposed to his face and no one took up for him. So he leaves and writes a painful letter calling for their repentance on this matter. Well, Paul got good news from Titus. After that painful letter, the one that we don't have, apparently they listened. They did repent. And so now, in this letter that we call 2 Corinthians, Paul's been pleading with them to be fully reconciled to him. To receive him and to receive the message of the gospel as trustworthy and as proof of their repentance, as proof of their love for Christ and his people, to finish up taking that collection for the Christians back in Jerusalem. He's saying as a proof of love for me, for the gospel, for Christ. Continue taking up that collection. Finish the task. That's what he's talking about in this, in this chapter. Finish the task and give to their need. And that brings us to our verse in verse 14. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equality. And we're going to spend some time unpacking this text and then I'm just going to list a bunch of ways that we can apply this text to our lives under one main exhortation. Here's the main exhortation. Display your love for Christ through gracious giving to his people in need. Display your love for Christ through gracious giving to his people in need. So let's unpack it. Paul begins this chapter pointing out the grace of God and the wealthy, uh, gen- uh, the wealth of generosity that the impoverished churches back in Macedonia had given to the church in Jerusalem. He says, out of their extreme poverty, verse 2. They had given beyond their ability with abundant joy. Such a great example. How's that possible? Well, verse 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to Paul and Titus by God's will. So their grace-filled giving came from their commitment to Jesus and then to God's people according to their understanding of God's will. And they get all that from the gospel, which is what Paul appeals to in verse 9. We know, they know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And of course, Paul's not talking about Jesus' bank account back in in Nazareth. right? Christ's sacrifice for you began in heaven. He, He laid aside his glory, took on human form, and dwelt among us. Subjecting himself to the conditions of a fallen world, he became poor. He knew sicknesses and the temptation to sin. And living that life perfectly on our behalf, he was rejected, despised, persecuted, betrayed. 
and suffered the agony of the cross. Not just the horror of being beaten, scourged, and then nailed, but the agony of bearing the wrath of God for sins that we committed. He took on our debt. And he did this in order that we might become rich, that we would know God's grace. We were bankrupt from a spiritual standpoint, unable to pay the eternal debt of sin that we owed to God, but Jesus paid it in full, credits to our account, his righteousness, gives us his spirit as a down payment, guaranteeing us an eternal inheritance. We are rich because Christ became poor. That's the gospel, and it's the genesis or the beginning of the grace of giving. In the church. Jesus leads us to be radically generous and sacrificial. The Macedonians were an example of of following Jesus in this way. And specifically, it's by helping their brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem. Look again at verse 13. It is not that there should be relief for others in hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their needs so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equality. Paul makes it clear that this isn't about being a hardship on the Corinthian church so that the Jerusalem church can have relief. Twice, the issue is equality. But what does Paul mean by that? Is he saying that Christians, all Christians, should have the same amount of stuff? No, he tells us what he means by equality in verses 14 and 15. It's a matter of everyone's needs being equally met. He says in verse 14, the fact that they have more right now is great. You can supply their need. And if one day you need help, then out of their abundance, they, that might become available for your need. And then he quotes Exodus sixteen eighteen in verse 15, grounding his argument in Scripture. In Exodus 16, God promises to provide food for his people in the wilderness. Each day, the people would go out, collect food according to the number of persons in their tent. So the people who gathered a lot didn't have too much food, and the people who had gathered little didn't have too little. Some got more, some got less, but everybody had what they needed. Paul's point is that God provides for his people. He distributes to each one according to need. So for Paul, the principle of equality means that God provides for all his people. Not a few, not some, not a certain tribe, all. It's God's will that all people have sufficient provision for all their needs. So it's an equity of provision, not of Surplus. And so while it's not wrong to have a surplus, it's not good to have one while someone in the church has an unmet need. That's the equality he's after, a provision of needs. Which means if God gives you a surplus, that's not necessarily for you. That's how we naturally think, and it's not wrong to have a surplus. That might be part of the way that God wants you to experience himself. He may give you extra, more than you need, then you might enjoy it. Just like all fathers love to bless their children with 
things they don't need. We just, we just want them to have gifts that they enjoy. Man, we experience that all the time from God. But Paul looks at the situation in Corinth and says, but right now, that's not the case. Right now, your surplus is available for their need. And he understands that this to be something that's going to demonstrate the gospel at the time. So right now, that surplus is available to them. And one day, the tables may be turned. But it's also that the gospel of grace that we've seen and experienced in Christ might make its way out of our hearts and get displayed in gracious giving to his people. Following Jesus, loving Jesus, means loving one another. And so we covenant together the way we do as a church in order to display that love for Christ and love for one another. And so one of the things that we promise is that we will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. Our love for one another and for Christ involves our finances. So, let's apply this verse. First, we as a church should always try and have a benevolence fund that is ready to help those in our congregation who are in need. We want the whole church to be a part of serving one another in this way. So by making it part of the budget and all of us just giving generally to the budget, there's a portion in which we are saying as a church, yes, we all want to contribute to a brother or sister's need here. But this is also a reason that we don't make the benevolence fund extravagant in our, in our budget. It's because we want individuals to have the opportunity to be the very tangible instrument of God's grace to another person. So our budget is not extravagant because we, we, we want there to be times where if there's a brother or sister in need, it, it's on us who know about it to meet that need. Or it's on us as a church to say, hey, here's a need. Who can give? And for us to have to dive into our surplus or maybe like the Macedonians out of our extreme poverty give to that need second consider those who are dependent on the church to meet all of their needs does that make sense consider those in the church who are dependent on this body of believers in order to have all their needs met needs met so that certainly includes your pastors and I can tell you it's, a hum, it's humbling to be supported in this work. And I'm also just very grateful. The church has been very good to us. And I'm, I thank you. And I, praise, I praise God for you. In addition to us, however, we have a number of people in the church who raise their support to do full-time ministry. And it's the kind of work that the world doesn't consider to be worth paying for. Because their work doesn't produce a product or service uh, that, that is going to meet some desire the world has. And yet, they're doing the kind of work the world needs the most. This, this is why we give towards missionary work. More than food and water, the world needs Jesus. So we give to the spiritual need of the world by supporting the physical needs of the laborers. So... Consider those who are trying to obey Jesus in a way they feel gifted and are serving him full time and, and, and come to seek, seek to meet their needs 
as together we try to meet the world's spiritual needs. Third, based on this principle here in 2 Corinthians uh, 8, make your needs known. If you're a part of this church and you have a need, a financial need, maybe a very practical need, whatever it is, don't be proud and be silent. It's not about you. God is sovereign. If you have a need, he has worked in such a way that he intends to glorify himself through the Spirit's work in the church. God's going to show off his grace through your need. So let him glorify himself and make your needs known. We all end up with needs for different reasons, right? Life is hard uh, in this world uh, that's fallen. So so we don't don't need to be um, quietly proud and not make these needs known. And yet sometimes there may be practical reasons for why you have needs. And so I'm thankful that we have Lewis serving us as a deacon of financial care. And what all this means is that uh, if you have a need, you may be talking to Lewis, who will help us as a church know how to use the benevolence fund. But he, all, he might also be talking to you and asking questions uh, about your finances in order to truly help you. If part of the help you need is managing your finances. But we're going to take care of our family. We are brothers and sisters, part of the household of God here at Grace Harbor. And we understand we have a responsibility to meet one another's needs. So if you have a need, do not worry. Bring it to God and bring it to the church. Fourth, guard your heart against needing a surplus so that you can display the gospel of Christ. And the way that you guard your heart against needing a surplus is by meditating on the grace of Christ towards you and the rich inheritance that has been promised to you and pursue his kingdom First, pursue his kingdom first. Otherwise, you can't obey this verse. The deceitfulness of riches and the desire for things choke out the word in our lives. That's Mark 4, 19. Those who desire to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 1 Timothy 6.9. I don't know if you've read verses like that enough in the Bible, but, but often we are, I think, in the position of envying the rich. And the Bible, every time it talks about the rich, it's of great warning. Like, I do not envy you in that position. If you have a great surplus... There are warnings in Scripture for you, and there is also great responsibility. So, for your own soul, for your own spiritual good, for the physical good of others, be content with what you have. Pursue His kingdom first. Don't complain and wish that you could have more money to spend on worldly desires. And so very practically speaking, if, if possible, make it possible to meet the needs of others, or, or maybe I should say, make it possible to have an abundance. Don't 
spend what you don't have. Or don't spend what you do have just because you can spend. You know, work hard to live below your means so that you can give to those in need. You know, work hard to not need a surplus, but to have a surplus so that you might display the grace of God. We want to save with the church in mind. I don't know that's part of the budget planning process of your family, but, but you want to do that. You know, set aside some money so that if, you know, we do a short-term mission trip where it calls on more people to go, you're ready to go. Or if you're not ready to go, you can give towards someone else. Uh, be ready to increase giving to the needs that the whole church might have. Uh, be ready to meet the immediate needs of someone beyond the, what the Benevolence Fund may do. And if we do these things, Paul says, it's proof of your love for Christ and for one another. And it brings glory to God in the church. Let's pray. Oh God, we pray that the gospel would truly touch our lives and penetrate our hearts in such a way that we are overwhelmed with thankfulness. God, that we would look at all the ways that you've blessed us and say that we have an abundance of provision and that we are experiencing your kindness everywhere and that we would be ready to give. Give to the work of the gospel. Give to practical needs in this church so that in every way Christ is magnified among us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.